Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are ready to go. Getting your weekend underway right here with one plus quality hour of soccer discussion. Big stuff lined up for you today. We'll talk to Thomas Floyd from Goal.com at 940. Ahead of that, headlines as usual, phone calls, working that in here in the next segment. So get your phones ready. Line yourself up. Three four seven six. What was what the number? Why am I blanking on the number? Seven five six six two seven six. This goes back to that whole I can't remember phone numbers thing anymore. I need to have it like plastered right here in front of me. I know Trevor's like put when I talk about phones. I'm not, the phone lines aren't open now, but when do we do phones? I know Trevor puts the the number on the screen. I know he does that. So it 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 if you're watching the video, you don't need me to say it. But I think it's probably humorous to watch the video, hear me forget what the number is. And have it be right there on the bottom of the screen. Like, can I do one of those things where I, I go like this and Trevor makes something appear underneath my hands <laughs> on the video stream? Yeah. Because I went back and I watched the new graphic package, which Trevor was so excited about this week as we got back on the video uh, after having a couple of weeks off. I saw the new graphic package. It's pretty spectacular. That's good stuff happening over here at Soccer Morning. And that's all down to Trevor Hayward. Let's all give him a round of applause, round of applause. Trevor Hayward, booking all the guests, doing all the graphics. Fantastic stuff. As I said, it is Friday. We are very excited to be here, as usual. Thomas Floyd will come up and talk to us here in a couple of minutes or uh, about half an hour or so. In the meantime, let's hit the headlines. Eric Kubo Torres has joined the Houston Dynamo. He has arrived in Houston. I'm looking at a picture of him pushing his cart through the airport in Houston beaming very excited to be there clearly now remember Cuba Torres had been delayed in his arrival in Houston due to some legal trouble down in Mexico there was an allegation of uh, of an assault I'm not sure where that stands we may have to check in with uh, whatever Mexican legal experts we can find if if if, uh, if there is one available to us to see what exactly is going on this is great news for the dynamo provided None of that stuff lingers and follows Kubo Torres to the United States. He'll more than likely make his debut on July 21st in the uh, Dynamo's U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal match against Kansas City. And then they'll have the Galaxy the following weekend in the league. So it's very possible Kubo's MLS debut could be against the L.A. Galaxy, which would be uh, a nice little stage for him. There is a statement here from Major League Soccer uh, it does address some of the issues that Kubo Torres is facing in Mexico. Uh, let me just scan this briefly. I have it read through, so I'm going to try. I can't read the whole thing. I'm going to try to get the, the big points out. Eric Kubo Torres has returned to Major League Soccer after a six-month loan to CD Chivas Guadalajara and has reported to the Dynamo. In light of public reports regarding allegations of sexual assault by Mr. Torres in Guadalajara, Mexico, in April 2015, the league conducted an independent review of this matter. After several months of conducting a criminal investigation, a district attorney for Guadalajara issued an official ruling on June 19th stating that the evidence uncovered during its investigation cleared Mr. Torres of any criminal wrongdoing. As a result, the district attorney recommended that the investigation be closed. So there you go. I think what we've got here is a situation where uh, whatever happened in Mexico is murky enough, and I'm not absolving 
Kubo Torres. I'm certainly not saying he's guilty of anything, uh, but this situation has reached a point where MLS is now comfortable with bringing him here, and, and clearly he's also able to travel and work in the United States. That's something the State Department would have had to have cleared. All right, uh, the uh, MLS Players Union has ratified the new CBA. Uh, if you remember, that was lingering for a while. The, the uh, actual agreement had not yet gone through the process of being ratified. Uh, this is a deal that brings forth something approaching free agency, although we know that it's not exactly where uh, the players want to be. Uh, but they have, uh, they have, as I said, they have ratified it. I don't know what that means, but blah, 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 blah. Uh, just a couple of other items from the CBA uh, that you will have remembered from the discussions but probably forgotten since we started actually playing games. Playing Players earning less than, this is the, Free agency element. Players earning earning less than $100,000 can negotiate a raise, raise of up to 25%. Players earning between $100,000 and $2,000 can negotiate a raise of up to twenty. Players to Players $200,000 and above, 15%, etc., etc. This is, uh, again, players who can move within the league. Eight years of experience, at least 28 years old. It's not the best of terms, but it has been ratified. A couple of MLS trades came down over the last day and a half or so. DC United has traded Luis Silva, the oft-injured Luis Silva, to Real Salt Lake for Alvaro Salvario. This continues the breakup of the RSL core that uh, had taken them to the top of MLS for a number of years. Now, they still have Beckerman Morales, and they obviously brought back um, uh, they, they obviously brought back a couple of players in recent times, but Nate Gravavoy is gone. And uh, Chris Wingard is gone, and now that uh, it, now that Alvaro Sabarillo is gone as well, RSL seems to be moving in a different direction. Sabarillo will not be able to play for DC United until the Gold Cup is over, until the Gold Cup is over for Costa Rica, which could very well be this weekend. Breck Shea is out indefinitely with a sports hernia surgery. Uh, this has uh, apparently um, knocked him out of commission for a, a period of time, um, not sure exactly how long, four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, one of those situations where they're not quite sure, and they're not going to rush him back. Uh, Breck Shea, obviously not in the Gold Cup team because of these injuries. Um, no timetable was given. Orlando expects him to return by the end of the season. He left a June 24th game against Colorado with an injury, and obviously this explains partly why Orlando went out and traded for Corey Ash from the Houston Dynamo, a trade that I did not uh, yet mention on Soccer Morning. The Swiss government has um, agreed to extradite Jeffrey Webb to the United States after his uh, arrest for corruption uh, by the um, Swiss officials at the behest of the FBI. Former Vice President Jeffrey Webb extradited the Swiss Federal Office of Justice said Thursday the man was extradited a day earlier after 50 days of detention. He was handed over to a three-man U.S. police escort in Zurich who accompanied him on the flight to New York. Uh, two people familiar with the case, this is from the AP, identified the defendant as Webb and confirmed he has been brought to the U.S. Now, again, he is from the Cayman Islands. He's been CONCACAF president. He actually was living in the United States, was in Zurich for this conference, was arrested, was detained, and now has been extradited to the United States as part of this process. I don't know how many have been extradited. I don't think there's very many at this point who have actually made their way to the U.S. to face the charges um, that uh, have been brought up against them. Uh, Barcelona 
made $650 million last year. Just think about that number for a second and consider why it is that Barcelona and Real Madrid are never going to give up their dominance of La Liga. Barcelona says they made over 600 million euros in revenue last season when they won a treble of titles, including the Champions League. The European champions say that an audit carried out by an accounting firm, Deloitte, determined the club generated revenues of 608 million euros over the course of the 2014-15 season. Barcelona, as they earned a profit of 15 million euros after taxes during that time. So their profits, not significant necessarily. Their revenues off the charts. They're going to, they're going to be, yeah. You see where things stand in Europe clearly. This is why uh, financial fair play is not going to make any bit of difference when it comes to the big teams and the smaller teams. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, let you get in on a Friday with whatever you want to talk about. Thomas Boyd coming up later in the show. Should be a good one. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Stay right there. This Saturday, the U.S. men's national team will play in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and will be two steps away from reaching the final for the sixth consecutive tournament. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me as I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions during the game live on Rabble.tv. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Will Jurgen Klinsmann be able to get this U.S. team firing in all cylinders again? Find out this Saturday, July 18th at 5 p.m. Eastern, and cheer on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. Are you excited for the Gold Cup quarterfinals? Are you excited for your club weekend, whatever that may mean, whether it's MLS or NASL or USL or hell, if uh, I don't know what else is happening in the world. There's, there's st- is like Europa League already starting. What's going on with that? That's not weekend stuff, though, right? That's still midweek. Like I don't know where we stand. Trevor knows like those backward backwater countries. I mean, no offense to Tajikistan, but like is Tajikistan and UEFA <laughs> don't even know. Let me be in Asia. Where are those those little tiny countries way out there on the fringe of of Europe who are playing in the Europa League right now? That none of those countries are in Europe. They're all in they're all in Asia. But I just mean like way out there on the edge, <laughs> the Ural Mountains or whatever. You're getting my geography all screwed up. Talk to uh, our friend Landon in Salt Lake City. Landon, your uh, your your boy's gone. What's going on? Oh, I know. I called it, didn't I? I believe you did. As a matter of fact. Yeah. No. I, I mean, that's that's the main reason I'm calling in, just just to show how good you, I am. You want some man. props? I called this like five five weeks ago. Okay. Well, here's the deal, Landon, and this is something I've been thinking about. I don't have my full sound drop board here on soccer morning i don't know if it would be a nice fit but since i don't let's see what, what do i have here I, I don't have a round of applause i've got obama talking about fifa 
I've got Bladder talking about. I got Seb Bladder and his Ronaldo thing. <laughs> so there you go. That's that's going to have to do for a round of applause. Or I believe that we have won. You have you have won the uh, the guess the uh, the prediction that Alvaro Salvaria would be uh, let go by by well let go. I mean certainly traded for something. What do you what do you make of the the deal for your side? Yeah, trying to figure it out. I mean Luis Silva, he's he's decent. I mean it's obviously not a one for one trade. Weibel was talking about it yesterday, saying that uh, you know they're letting Sabo go to free up some cap space. They're bringing in Luis Silva in for, I, I mean, I believe he's very low. Um, so they're saying it's basically a two-part trade. They're bringing in the second person right now. I mean, we obviously don't know who it is. I mean, Luis Silva for Sabo, I don't think it's a really good trade, as is. He's fine. He gets injured a ton, um, just like, you know, Olave, just like Schuler. I'm not a huge fan of having another guy that gets hurt all the time. Um, what I'm really interested in, though, is who that second guy is going to be, and that's that's what will show if it's if the trade is worth it or not. Because right now it's just not. There is a, there is a second. I haven't seen the details. There's a second player involved for your side. Yeah. So basically, yeah, yeah. What Weibel was saying yesterday, um, and and Gasar as well, was that that Kyle takes up a lot of cap space. I mean, I think he was in you know, three to four hundred um, k a year. Wait, so, at some point, wait, do? Landon, at some point, wasn't he a DP? He, he's not a DP now. Yeah. He, he not, uh, no, he's, he's not now. He okay. he was a DP, and then he got he got pulled back this year. This year, he was not a DP slot. Okay. Um, but he takes up, takes up a lot of cap space, um, so sending him over frees up frees up a ton of that. So they said they were going to bring in Luis Silva as part of it, and that they'll be sending out, signing on a second player now, and freeing up that much cap space, that player could be, you know, the 2 to 250 range or so. So should be a bigger name. I'm interested to see who it is. Uh, well, we'll find out what uh, what's going on here with uh, with RSL, and I guess again, I mean, the, the headlines are all going to say that this is part of you know planning, that this is long term stuff. Uh, obviously, Luis Silva is a nice player, but he's not going to come in and make a major impact for you. Although, you know, if you li- if you get him healthy, if he is healthy, and you line him up on the other side from Joao Plata, that's not that's that's pretty nice. Yeah. No, it's, it, that'd be great. I just again, it comes back to the whole being healthy. I mean, we got we heard the same exact thing when Olave came on. Olave would be great if he's healthy and he's played like less than fifty percent of the games this year. And so it's just it's something frustrating to see when we get these players who just can't stay and learn two feet. Okay, Landon, I appreciate the phone call. Anything else on your mind? How your weekend? What what you got going on? Uh, I got this weekend on. Just not much. Just watching games and fishing. So it'll be a good weekend. Okay. So you got uh, you got Houston coming to town for the for RSL. Uh, tomorrow, and then obviously that's uh, that's just well, it's just a little bit after the USA quarterfinal in Baltimore against Cuba. So you'll have a nice uh, a nice evening of soccer out there um, yeah. in uh, Utah. Appreciate the call, Landon. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Tom Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine is your phone number. Jump in here on a Friday. We are leading up to Thomas Floyd from goal at nine forty, so you have plenty of time to get in and talk about whatever is on your mind, whether that's Again, the USA in the Gold Cup quarterfinals against Cuba in Baltimore. What do you need to see? What do you want to see from your from your lineup? I mean, I, let's let's put aside all this notions of progress and blah blah blah, and Jurgen Klinsmann's getting it all wrong. What he needs to do tomorrow is win. That's that's it. Bottom line, just win the game. It's all I'm going to care about. It is the knockout stages of a tournament. If that's the case, what kind of lineup does he need to use? Now, remember, he's traded. He's changed out three players. His three players that he's changed out. Uh, Josie Altidore for Alan Gordon, Greg Garza for Demarcus Peasley, and uh, Alfredo Morales for Joe Corona. Those three players, um, 
the 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 three he swapped out those three positions striker left back and left mid or midfielder in general if you want to kind of throw Joe Corona and Alfredo Morales who may or may not be a left midfielder for his club and comes into this system seemed to play okay but not great is Joe Corona an upgrade is DeMarcus Beasley an upgrade over Greg Garza I'm not so sure he is all things being equal but maybe in this tournament he is and certainly the experience that DeMarcus Beasley has winning the gold cup with the United States could come in handy in this tournament as for the Alan Gordon Josie Outdoor swap Josie Altidore told the press in Toronto upon his return that he is 80% fit. If that's the case, I'm not sure why he was on the roster to begin with. But now that you've swapped him out, and now that you've heard of Josie say that, I mean, he could be fudging that number, clearly. He could be saying that when it's maybe not true. He could be covering up for his own deficiencies. But if we take it at face value, believe what Josie Altidore says about his fitness, then it makes sense to swap out, swap him out ahead of the knockout stages. But is that Alan Gordon? I mean, is the guy that's going to step in and fill Josie's shoes Alan Gordon? Does anybody actually have an expectation of Alan Gordon starting? And here's the thing. It's, Clint, it's Jurgen Klinsmann. Alan Gordon could start tomorrow. We don't expect him to. That should logically make it a surprise. But if we get to tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon, in Beemore, and Alan Gordon is on the team sheet to start that game, does anybody really go... Wow, I'm really shocked by that. No, you go like this. It's Jurgen. That's so Jurgen. Starting Alan Gordon. Now it's Cuba. Don't underestimate anybody in this tournament. We've seen the United States get in trouble for that already. But it's Cuba. They should be good enough to win, regardless of that Alan Gordon is starting. And I get why Alan Gordon's in this team, by the way. I get why he was on the provisional roster, and I get why he's called up now. He has a very specific set of skills. And those skills mostly amount to being very tall or tall and being able to head a ball into the net. That, that's Those are the skills Alan Gordon has. He's a big guy. He can play back-to-goal, center-forward stuff for the United States if they need that in a pinch. Over the course of, a, of 75 or 85 minutes, I'm not sure you want Alan Gordon on the field that much. I'm not sure that he's good enough to carry that load over the course of, the, of most of the game. But based on what we saw from Josie Altidore, he can't really be much of a step back, can he? He can't really be a downgrade from what we saw out of Josie Altidore in those first two games. So now Alan Gordon gets his opportunity to step into a Gold Cup at the age of how many? First of all, if you had to guess, Trevor, do you do you know off the top of your head how many caps Alan Gordon has? Anybody know? Alan Gordon is. The he will unless he plays in this tournament, he will forever be part of that group. That is the one cap club for the United States of America. He has one cap. It came, I believe, it came in two thousand twelve. He came on as a sub against Antigua and Barbuda where he played the ball to Eddie Johnson, who scored in the 90th minute to win that game. I remember that game. One of those games that happened on a cricket pitch down in the Caribbean, right? It wasn't going well. It was Antigua and Barbuda. Barbuda? Whatever. And Alan Gordon had to come on, and he played the ball to Eddie Johnson, who was at the back post and headed it in. 
He did not play. He was called up for the 2013 Gold Cup, but did not play. That's right. Trevor did. Uh, Trevor's remembering. I don't. I didn't remember that. This is two two consecutive Gold Cups that Alan Gordon has been in this team. Now we get a chance to see if Alan Gordon can get his second cap. He is 33 years old. He makes, I, I feel old because I'm older than him, but he's 33 years old. Maybe he's a good locker room guy, maybe makes a mean margarita. Yeah. Maybe he has a Gordo Rita that he makes. Little muddled cucumber, slice of jalapeno. <laughs> Sounds like something else somebody I know makes. Called the Rhodey Rita. 646-832-3909 is your phone number on a Friday. I know you're you're building up to your weekend. You're trying to get things done at work or you're slacking because those are the only two ways to go on a Friday when you have an office job, a nine-to-fiver. You either bust your ass so that you can maybe get out early if you're lucky enough to have an office that allows you to do that or so that you don't have to come back to a pile of work on Monday or because there's just a bunch of stuff to clear out. Or you don't do a damn thing. You sit back, you relax, you read a lot about soccer, you listen to this show, you uh, you maybe play some... Do people still play Minesweeper? Is that still a thing? I feel as though, and again, I haven't been in an office setting in quite some time, but I feel as though every office in America is still running like Windows 95, right? Like, aren't, aren't businesses notoriously slow to upgrade? What what are we up to in, in business America when it comes to operating systems? It's got, it can't be it can't be all the way up. Windows 2000. That's right. That's probably about where we're at. Your operating system is older. <laughs> I'm saying your operating system has been around longer than I'm trying to think of something, some soccer reference to make here. Then Landon Donovan on the senior national team stage. Your operating system and your office probably came out before Landon Donovan made his senior team debut for the United States of America. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Think about that. And yeah, you're probably, you probably are still playing Minesweeper. What else did we have? Um, what's the, the snake game, right? So you, the ball's bouncing around and you have to make the lines block off the portions of the box to see, <laughs> you have to get up to like 80% of the space in order to move on to the next day. Anyway. 646-832-3909. I had a couple of stories here. One of them is about Miami. Now, it's been so long. The process has been so arduous. There's been no movement in Miami that any story that comes out should be looked at with a critical eye, a jaundiced eye, a very suspicious eye. And this one is no different. Now, let me read you the headline. This is from the Miami Herald. David Beckham Group to discuss soccer stadium. With Miami Mayor. Now, on the surface, that sounds great. David Beckham Group to discuss soccer stadium with Miami Mayor. We've heard so much about how they haven't made any progress. They haven't had any discussions with the actual elected officials in Miami. This sounds like something good. Guys, let's all get together in a room. We'll hash this thing out. We'll talk about where we can put a stadium. We have any sites that we can identify. I know that University of Miami is involved now. Donna Shalala got got in, in the mix. Let's do this. Let's figure this out once and for all. Trevor says he'll bring some free fragrances for them. It'll be great. He'll bring some some of his whiskey. Doesn't David Beckham have whiskey now? David Beckham's a whiskey guy now. He's, he'll bring some Sprint phones. Oh, wait. That's Marcelo Corre. 
who could bring him some sprint phones. Maybe David Beckham could throw some of his his Spanish at uh, at the the people in the room who who may speak Spanish. But wait a second, there's a catch. Here's your story from Michelle Kaufman and Douglas Hanks. David Beckham and his investors hope to move the ball a little closer Friday in their bid to bring Major League Soccer to Miami. Beckham's business partner, Sprint CEO Marcelo Clore, confirmed he is scheduled to have a video conference with Miami Mayor Tomas Regalado and the mayor's staff Friday morning to discuss the stadium issue. David Beckham will not be at the meeting, which Regalado said would also address a city cellular project with Sprint. Now, tell me if that doesn't sound like we're meeting about some cell phone stuff and uh, maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about the soccer thing. And you know what? David won't be here because, you know, he's out selling whiskey and fragrances and making sprint commercials, which I've seen seven billion times at this point. Anything for you, David Beckham? (laughs) Don't isolate that. Do not isolate that. 646-832-3909. Tell me if I'm wrong about this one. It says video conference. It says Beckham will not be at the meeting. Now, how is this any better than where we were? The meeting comes about a month after Beckham helped revive Buzz over his long-sought team when he flew to Miami for a pair of meetings with Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez and Donna Shalala, then finishing up her tenure as president of University of Miami. So, he look, Beckham went to Miami. Give him, give him some credit for that. He went to Miami. He met with some people. They have some power. They're, they're individuals with a certain amount of power. But has anything come out of that meeting? There is no indication that Friday meetings, Friday's meeting will involve my, uh, University of Miami and talks of a joint stadium appear to have cooled. Whoops. Whoops. In an interview Thursday, Regalado said he hasn't spoken to UM officials since his meeting with Shalala last month, who resigned as president in May. He said UM participation appears to be a crucial element for Beckham's group. UM is the component, Regalado said. Regalado, Miami Mayor Regalado, says that the University of Miami is the component. Stress on the. But let me go back a little bit in this story. Talks of a joint stadium appear to have cooled. Damn it! I've been fooled again. Nothing's happening here. Seriously, this is a story about nothing happening. I don't blame Michelle Kaufman and Douglas Hanks for reporting this. Michelle Kaufman's been all over this story down in Miami. By the way, we tried to get her on the show about 6,000 times. Maybe we'll try again. I don't blame her at all. It's not her fault that nothing's happening. There's a story where there's nothing happening. I mean, there's some sort of meeting. And I know that there's a soccer public in Miami who are desperately waiting for something to really move forward here. But this is in progress. This is a bunch of running in place. And where is David Beckham? Is he really interested? Does he really care? Does he? I don't know if he does. Guys, I don't know if he does. I mean, I'm sure it'd be, it's one of those things like, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have this. I mean, I, it'd be fun, I, I guess, you know, but I'm not really going to put, I got other stuff going on. I'm not going to, you know, it's like uh, putting in that barbecue pit in your backyard. It'd be great. Talk, think, think about all the stuff you could make if you put that barbecue pit in your backyard. Think about how many weekends you'd be out there smoking meat, being do, doing all that really cool stuff, 
drinking some David Beckham whiskey while you're doing it, talking on your spent cell phone, making some barbecue. But, you know, it's a lot of effort to put that barbecue pit in. You, you know, you don't really have the money to go out, or maybe you do have the money to go out and pay somebody to do it, but you got to line up all that stuff. You got to find the right time. You know, there's there's kids to consider. They're running around the backyard. You really want, you know, a, guy, a bunch of guys working, big, building your pit, or if you decided to do yourself. I mean, you got to put in some effort here. So it's one of those things, like, I, I would really love this thing, but, man, my life is so busy right now, and I've got so many other responsibilities that I can't really justify spending the extra time lining this thing up. That's, that's what it seems like to me. Would David Beckham like to own a Major League Soccer club? The answer to that is yes. How much would David Beckham like to own a Major League Soccer club? It doesn't seem like that much, guys. Really doesn't. Jose on Twitter, can you jump in your ProRail time machine and tell us when when we will have MLS in Miami? Man, the the <laughs> it's not the TARDIS, it's the ProRail time machine. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I want I want Miami to progress. I want things to happen in Miami. Not just because Miami is a cool town and it would bring a certain level of of, I don't know, fashionability to MLS. And because I know there are a lot of players who would jump at the chance to play in Miami, we might get actual young players on the up who see MLS as a jumping board, or a a launching pad, and, and want to come to Miami. That might happen. But not if they can't get the the team done, and not if they can't get the stadium together. You know, and all of this comes on the heels of all of the drama in Minnesota, and, and the latest that I've seen. And, I, and we need to get somebody on the show to talk about this. I have been skimming headlines; I haven't read in depth. St. Paul is now in play for the for the Minnesota MLS team. I don't know what that means. It kind of feels and. This is no respect to St. Paul, and I don't know the geography of the Twin Cities, but it kind of feels a little bit like sporting Kansas City putting their stadium in Kansas City, Kansas, way out by the Speedway, instead of in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, and now ultimately, that worked out for sporting. They get full houses, and that place is amazing. It's a great stadium. Been there myself, so I can say that. It's a great stadium, and, and really, the location doesn't have a whole lot to do with anything. It's fine. Maybe this will work out in, in Minnesota. And I'm saying this because MLS has screwed up Miami, maybe Minnesota, definitely New York. Well, okay, I'll reserve some judgment on New York for another, what, how many years am I supposed to give them, Trevor? How many years am I supposed to give NYCFC before we start really coming down on putting a team in the the five boroughs because, hey, guys, we're going to get this thing done. I don't know. Couple of minutes ahead of Thomas Floyd, we'll talk to him at nine forty, ahead of a big soccer weekend. But I want to circle back to the Senate subcommittee hearings involving U.S. soccer, international soccer governance, under the microscope on Capitol Hill on Wednesday. U.S. Senate panel hearing took place in, uh, to look into corruption in U.S. soccer. They have asked. They asked for U.S. soccer. Sorry, 
corruption in, in international soccer. They asked U.S. soccer to provide somebody to talk about this problem and U.S. soccer's role in it. They demurred at first, eventually provided Dan Flynn, who is the CEO, Secretary General of uh, U.S. soccer. So you know, glad he did not attend. Probably a smart move in the end, but certainly not a good look for U.S. soccer. Now, remember that generally speaking, these subcommittee hearings don't do a lot. They don't come. They don't accomplish a lot. They're mostly about grandstanding. Occasionally, you'll have some actual information come out. I don't believe that any actual information came out of this hearing, but it was an opportunity to hear what Dan Flynn had to say in regards to U.S. soccer's role in any uh, any FIFA and CONCACAF corruption, and also to get Andrew Jennings an opportunity to, to sit uh, in front of a microphone and be Andrew Jennings, which we love. We're going to try to get Andrew Jennings on the show in the very near future. There's some quotes here. In fact, I'm going to, I'm at worldsoccertalk.com. These were written up by Caitlin O'Connell. Uh, good work here because I've been looking for his transcript. I don't know if I wanted to dive through an entire transcript, but you've got a couple of things. This is, um, this is, uh, what Dan Flynn said about corruption. I knew nothing about any corruption. I or anybody that I work with has not brought anything to my attention. Cold hard facts regarding corruption within FIFA or CONCACAF. Okay. Okay. Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal. The silence is deafening and sometimes inaction signals complicity. There will be a point where in effect U.S. soccer is complicit in the ongoing lack of reform or action. You may have no direct control over it, but I respectfully suggest that this may be something you want to consider more seriously. Directing this at Dan Flynn, he says, begin to ask questions, begin an inquiry, begin to shine the light, begin to blow the whistle, begin essentially holding accountable officials who might be guilty, and we now know that they are, of wire fraud, conspiracy, money laundering, money laundering, and bribery that directly impacted the quality and integrity of the sport you were responsible for upholding. Now, I think that Blumenthal is grandstanding a bit. U.S. soccer doesn't have a whole lot of influence over what CONCACAF or FIFA does, but they have some. And they certainly did stand by. And that's part of the issue. And now here's some, uh, here's some money stuff from Mr. Andrew Jennings. Where's Sunil? Where is he? It rather undermines the whole process. U.S. Soccer had to know that Blazer and his fellow crook, Jack Warner from Trinidad, fighting extradition now with the approval of uh, FIFA President Sepp Blatter, were looting regional football and evading rightful taxes what they looked the other way. If American soccer leaders had taken action when they should have, Blazer and Warner would have been in jail. Blazer would be seeking asylum in Zimbabwe, and the U.S. would be hosting the 2022 World Cup, not some gra- graveyards in the Gulf. The U.S. doesn't have to go ask the rest of the world, is it all right if we have an inquiry into Amer- in America into our people? Please. I find this very dispiriting about this view of America as being gutless because that's what is being suggested. Get on and do it. Don't ask permission of some other countries. Wow. Andrew Jennings was throwing haymakers left and right throughout this process. He also called for FIFA to be dissolved. He said FIFA never should have never awarded the 2022 World Cup to Qatar, and England never should have bid for the 2018 World Cup, knowing about rampant bribery in FIFA's executive committee. I said the same thing about the U.S. and 2026. Blatter's FIFA ticks. Blatter's FIFA ticks all the boxes defining an organized crime syndicate, seizing and holding power, massive stealing, running rackets, comprising and out, uh, compromising and outwitting the public authorities, and hiding behind the world's most popular game. After seven years of probing these sleazebags and putting up with their legal threats and their attacks on my computers. Now, uh, Jennings also said in the process of this hearing that, uh, well, Jennings called out U.S. soccer several times. Let's just put it that way. 
And again, the senators on the dais made sure to grandstand and make their points. And it did go off the rails, and we lost track of the corruption element, and it became more about equal pay and various other things, which, while important, don't actually have any bearing on what was being discussed. Before we grab Thomas Floyd from Goal, let's talk to Roger. What's up, Roger? Hey, how's it going, Jason? Hey, I just wanted to say I'm a long-time uh, listener, first-time caller, but I love the show. Um, I just wanted to uh, say I, I heard uh, Wednesday West Brom and Orlando played, and Orlando beat them in a friendly 3-1. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to know uh, what you know about how are uh, our teams in MLS doing against these mid-table teams throughout Europe? I don't care. I mean, I'm sorry, Roger. I don't okay. care. It's it's it, it's a friendly, right? I mean, Orlando yeah, sure. it, Orlando beating West Brom means just as much as Bournemouth beating Philadelphia. Means nothing to me. I don't mm-hmm. I don't put any stock in friendly results on, on the club level. I mean, I put a little bit more stock in, right. in the international game uh, only because there's so many so fewer games at the international level. Um, so I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I, I really. I think that it's yeah. a. I think that it's a red herring. To, or a canard, for that matter, to go and look at, uh, you know, first of all, to use these results as indications of anything, and then to start comparing, mm-hmm. you know, oh, MLS is championship quality, or bottom half this, and top half that, and hey, if they be in the playoff, mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think you compare these things. I don't think you can. I think the variables are too, too much. The travel, yeah. the travel, the roster limitations, the salary caps, all of those things make it very, very difficult. I think that on a on a yeah. in a, in a neutral site game, all things being equal, most Premier League teams are going to beat most MLS teams pretty handily. In some cases, the MLS yeah. team will compete. And if again, but if you, it, it's impossible to know unless you have something serious on the line, and that's never going to happen. We're never right. gonna, we're never going to have Premier League teams and MLS teams going for a trophy that matters to both teams. It's just not going to happen. So it, it's almost impossible, Roger. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but uh, I guess it's kind of frustrating as, uh, you know, our league, I see it, it's been improving. Sure. And, um, you know, Jurgen just wants to just kind of diss the league and, you know, keep pushing players to play in Europe. Yeah. And uh, I think it should really be supporting the league and really be pushing the league to I don't, I don't really think, uh, I don't think honor I, the international date. Well, that's true. Okay, Roger, I got to go. But. I think I, I I don't think Jurgen Klinsmann has any obligation to prop up MLS, and I think that Don Garber's reaction to Klinsmann's comments last year were ridiculous and out of bounds and insane. Garber's job—I mean, sorry—Garber's job is to prop up MLS, of course. Klinsmann's job is to win games. If he thinks that that requires his players to be somewhere else, then he should be saying that. I mean, is he right or wrong? I don't know that we can really determine that at this point. All right, let's take a break. We are out of time in this segment. Apologize for cutting it short. Oops, I don't think we've already done that one. Let's uh, let's do this one. When we come back, it's really loud. We will talk to Thomas Floyd from Goal.com. Don't go anywhere on a Friday soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Saturday, the U.S. men's national team will play in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and will be two steps away from reaching the final for the sixth consecutive tournament. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me as I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions during the game live on Rabble.tv. 
With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Will Jurgen Klinsmann be able to get this U.S. team firing in all cylinders again? Find out this Saturday, July 18th at 5 p.m. Eastern and cheer on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv. Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It is a Friday. I'm very excited for Friday. My next guest is probably excited for Friday as well. Thomas Floyd from Goal is on the line. Let's talk some MLS with Mr. Floyd. Hey, Thomas. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. We've uh, we've talked to you about the Women's World Cup recently. Imagine we could talk some nationals, a men's national team here in a couple of minutes if we chose to. But let's shift uh, to MLS, and uh, let's talk about the big trade that went down yesterday. Alvaro Saborio coming to D.C. Uh, for Luis Silva. Uh, this is a trade that it, out in Utah is being characterized as a long-term, uh, long-term plan type of trade. In the short term, a, a big deal for D.C. United and their, and their attempts to win an MLS Cup this year. Absolutely. This, uh, this reminds me of the trade D.C. pulled off a few years ago when they traded Dax McCarty for Dwayne De Rosario, and that turned out pretty much exactly as you would expect. Dero made a massive impact uh, for DC United as they pushed for a playoff berth. Actually, it was the league MVP, which I don't think uh, they're expecting how Saborio. But then long-term, maybe DC fans uh, regret the fact that they gave up Dax McCarty, who's still excelling for the Red Bulls. So, We'll see if that's how this trade goes. Obviously, in the short term, Saborio makes DC United a better team. You've got that Spindola Saborio forward duo that was so successful in RSL. They're reunited. They have uh, the potential to really be one of the more dangerous forward partnerships you'll see down the stretch going into the playoffs as DC really tries to turn, you know, what's uh, been a couple years of success now into a real run at a title. Uh, whereas RSL, you know, it, it is a deal for the future, but also it makes sense uh, short-term if they can get Luis Silva healthy because Sebastian Jaime has really been playing very well in that uh, lone striker position where there really wasn't room for him and Saborio, where mm-hmm. it still like, gives you some depth in some other spots. Now, the uh, obviously, Saborio, uh, on a significant amount of money, and that's part of RSL's thinking, get rid of that salary, open up some space, We'll come to Silva in a second. How does DC is this? Is DC United able to do this almost uh, entirely because of Eddie Johnson's contract being voided? Uh, that seems like a a, a real factor there. Uh, it's as always, it's tough to come to a, a complete understanding of the real mechanics behind it. I think it's assumed that a a portion of the Eddie Johnson cap space also went toward uh, getting Bill Hamid locked down on a on a new contract that keeps him in DC. So. It'll be interesting to see exactly uh, how the Eddie Johnson money was split up. But, yes, I think in terms of the cap space, 
uh, that allows for the Savarillo move to be made. And also in terms of the personnel, DC now has the target forward that they've lacked all season with Eddie Johnson out. Yeah, certainly the um, Eddie Johnson's injury had an impact on DC. They managed to get this far without um, a center forward. And let's let's talk about the the notion that this can change the way DC United play. Certainly, you have a dynamic uh, forward in Fabian Espindola who will play off of Sabarillo. Uh, Sabarillo is a is is a strong post up type and can get his head on the end of things. Does that free up the midfield to be a little bit more aggressive, or are we going to still see DC United play grinded out soccer because hey, they were built in the image of their head coach? I think we will continue to see Benny Ball, as some fans have affectionately or not so affectionately <laughs> uh, referred to it, because Sabario, uh, if anything, the, the way I see it, he makes uh, that style of play even more effective because DC, you know. When their defenders get under pressure, they'll just lump the ball forward and and kind of play it safe and, and just try to to chase the ball and grind it out. And with a player like Sabario, that gives you some better hold-up play. That gives you a target who can actually win more of those 50-50 balls and, and allow United to uh, gain possession in the attacking third on those hopeful balls up the field, whereas uh, in the past, they've been playing with whether it's Silva or Rolf or Pontius. Those are all very more technical players who aren't going to win a lot of those physical battles. So Sabrio gives them another dynamic, and I think actually helps this style of play be a bit more effective for DC. Right, let's uh, flip this over and talk about it from an RSL perspective. Again, some of this is obviously about getting rid of Alvaro Sabrio's salary. The player they get is Luis Silva. He is uh, oft injured. He's one of those guys. He's had some problems with that. He can be a difference maker when he's healthy. Now, he's, he's also, he also falls into that category of um, a four-year college player who came out, made some noise in MLS in Toronto in his first uh, year or two, gets traded to D.C., and, and all of a sudden you look up and the kid's 26 years old, Thomas. I mean, the, the window on, on him developing has closed. Now he's got to be a finished product. What does he does? What does he give to RSL? He gives them another option in the attacking midfield slots. Which, if they can continue to play this sort of four-three-three formation they've been using lately, uh, that's important because you, you need insurance behind Javier Morales because he obviously is, isn't getting younger and has some injury issues of his own, and uh, it's. It's tough to say what's going on with Luis Gill. It looks like uh, recently his his head hasn't been entirely uh, with the team, and obviously he had that one big high-profile error that led to a, a late goal conceded against the Rapids, and you, you wonder if this Silva move has any implications on Luis Gill's future with RSL because they are similar players battling for a similar place in the team, whether that's backing up Morales or trying to be uh, one of the two central midfielders who play behind Morales. Uh, so S Silva factors into that equation. And if he's healthy, he gives them a very dangerous weapon. And uh, he'll be pleased to be a part of this RSL team because Silva is always adamant that he's a playmaker, not the forward that he often is uh, slotted into. So if they let him play in that midfield with Morales or take the reins when Morales is out, he actually could be a, a surprisingly effective option for RSL in the short term as, as much as this trade appears to be about the long term. 
I, well, that's uh, you also have to cover. I mean, Luis Silva is not going to necessarily do the do the work as uh, of some of those other midfielders. A lot, a lot to consider here. Obviously, this is um, one of those trades that, on paper, right now makes sense for both teams. We'll, we'll see how it plays out in the end. We we had another trade. We actually had a couple of trades recently, but the other mildly high profile trade that happened in the last couple of days. Um, Thomas is uh, Bakari Samari, who was unhappy in Montreal, not getting a lot of playing time recently asking out and getting shipped to, to FC Dallas for Kyle Becker. Um, Kyle Becker now on his third team in a very young career. But let's start with Sumari. I- I'm not sure. I haven't been overly impressed with him, with him since his return to MLS. Uh, I'm not sure he deserves to necessarily just walk in and be a starter anywhere in this league. But what does he bring to Dallas as they attempt to get back on, the, you know, on track and, and head towards um, uh, perhaps an MLS Cup this year? He gives them center back depth, which... If, if he is looking to go to a place where he's going to get minutes that he wasn't getting in Montreal, uh, I don't think this is going to work out for him because he definitely will be a backup on the team with Matt Hedges and Zach Lloyd at the center back spot. Mm-hmm. But he does, does give Oscar Prejas some, some depth. And I, I will say, I agree with what you said, that since Tumare has returned to MLS, he just frankly has not been a starting caliber player. And it's, it's interesting to see that he kind of grew so frustrated so quickly over being on the bench for, you know, it was a fairly short amount of time. He only sat out a handful of games for them. And, you know, it, it, you maybe ask questions about the the persona of a player who rather than fight for his spot, immediately tries to uh, move on to another team. There also was an incident last year when he was with the fire where he lashed out at a fire team employee on social media. So all these incidents really make you question if a, if a player like him might be worth the trouble. But I do think a coach like Oscar Preha is someone who can manage those types of personalities, and, and he could fit in well uh, with the, with Dallas if he accepts a secondary role with them. Yeah, he had some incidents with the fire the first time around before they ended up selling him uh, to to that French club back then, uh, it's he's just whatever for whatever reason. Bakari Smari, very sort of hot headed individual. We'll see. And it, look, speaking of hot, it's really hot in the summer in F- in in Dallas and Frisco, Texas. Uh, they're going to be dealing with a lot of travel and schedule congestion, just like everybody else. They'll probably need the depth. Whether or not it's it satisfies Bakari Smari's desire to play w- remains to be seen. They also have you mentioned uh, Lloyd and Hedges. Uh, the out and out starters. They also have Walker Zimmerman in their team, so there's some some um, some depth added in Bakari Sumari. And the last trade we'll get to uh, before I shift over to some quarterfinal Gold Cup talk, uh, Thomas, is Corey Ash being shipped uh, to uh, Orlando City. This is this seems to be just cover for the fact that Breck Shea is is going to miss some time with that hernia hernia surgery. Yes, and uh, I, it will be interesting to see if Ash ends up playing in midfield, which actually was his natural role coming up as a young player before he got converted into the all-star left back that he was with Houston. Uh, yeah, Orlando's had some bad luck uh, out wide with Kevin Molino suffering a torn ACL, now the Shea injury. So he, he gives them more options, and it is surprising that a player like him took so long to find a new MLS team and that Houston held on to him for so long, yeah. just kind of stashing him away on the bench when he clearly was an asset that a lot of other teams would be willing to trade some uh, nice pieces for. So, I mean, talk I, about a, Thomas. Talk about a player who had a beef about not playing after. I mean, 
maybe he maybe he's a team team guy, and he I don't I didn't hear anything about Corey Ash being upset about his role in Houston, and yet this is a guy he's got two hundred appearances for the Dynamo over the last you know eight years. That's that's pretty significant. Yeah, and they, I mean, as recently as 2013, he was the starting left back for the MLS All Stars, and it's it's a player, and he was on the Gold Cup team two years ago that won the title. He was a fringe U.S. national team player, so the fact that he um, just kind of got benched because Houston just had Demarcus Beasley fall into their lap and happened to get the starting U.S. national team left back, it, I think it does say a lot about his attitude that he's been able to. Just kind of quietly keep uh, keep training. From all accounts I've seen, he's been a great locker room guy with the Dynamo. Has continued to be uh, to be so even as a bench player. So I think this is a deal that it works out for him and it works out for Orlando because they're getting uh, a good presence in that locker room and a player who can really help them as they push for a playoff spot. So Corey Ash uh, moves to Orlando City again. Breck Shea out indefinitely with that sports hernia surgery. That's um... Uh, something that's waylaid a, a number of players over the course of the last few years. In fact, Jermaine Jones currently dealing with that exact malady as well. Um, uh, Thomas, this is new to me, and I'm, I'm catching up here. I did see this this morning and sort of blanked on it, but uh, Portland Timbers have signed a DP, 22-year-old Argentine forward Lucas Milano from Lanús. $5 million transfer fee, um, $1 million a year salary. I don't know anything about the player. I, I can't imagine that your comnable Lanus knowledge is up to par on on uh, Lucas <laughs> Milano. But you know, what does it mean that that Portland is going out? They they seem to be one of the more active, lower level DP teams. If you know what I mean. I mean, a million dollars isn't anything to sneeze at necessarily. And I and I guess they are using targeted allocation money in some way regarding this deal. But clearly, they have made an effort to mine that Argentine. Uh, vein for talented players. Yes, and uh, it, it's it's one approach, and it's worked out for them in, in the past. When you talk about lower level DPs, that's um, Diego Chara is a player who was who was a DP for them, and and uh, obvious the, the player whose contract has been bought down by that targeted allocation money is Fernando Adi, right? As uh, who's been a uh, striker for them, who's been. Um, sporadically effective, but when when he gets on the roll, he, he can be dangerous. So it's 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 one strategy, and it's uh you know it it will be intriguing to see if, if that works out for them in the Western Conference, where they're competing against the likes of you know the Galaxy and the Sounders, the teams that are going all out for the big money DPs. Um, we've seen in the Eastern Conference that a DC United team uh, with almost no DP presence. They have a spindle as a lower level DP um, is atop the East of a wide margin. So it, it can be done, but I imagine it's a bit tougher out West where, where you're going up against uh, the absolute big, big money team. So uh, I am curious what this means for Maxi Rudy uh, in Portland. This would appear to bump him down to a kind of a third string striker role. And I, I wonder if he's an asset, they'll look to move. So, a lot of implications for Portland as they make this signing. And, and lastly, on an M- the MLS fraud, Thomas, uh, just your thoughts of what uh, the official announcement uh, now that, that that's done. Giovanni Dos Santos signing with the LA Galaxy. We know that the targeted allocation money rule seems to have been designed uh, in part to help a team like LA go in and find a, a fourth DP so they can sign a player like Dos Santos. He is potentially a, a transformative figure 
in MLS. In fact, Will Parchman at Top Door Soccer calls him the biggest signing in MLS history. Where do you fall? I'm not. I'm not quite sure if I'm willing to jump to that conclusion, but it's it's massive. The fact that MLS gets a in his prime Mexico star in Southern California. It's really um, it's a it's a demographic the league has been so desperate to tap into, as we saw with the Chivas USA franchise for a decade, uh, attempting to to reach those fans and. If the Galaxy can do that, if they can win over a lot of those Mexican fans in Southern California and get them to buy into the franchise, uh, that's another step toward the Galaxy becoming more than just an MLS power and actually becoming uh, a team that can compete in CCL, that can be seen as uh, one of the top clubs in North America and actually get to the level where they start to be in the conversation as one of those teams that people around the world know. Uh, yeah, you know, it's going to take winning the, the regional competition uh, in terms of the CONCACAF Champions League. I, I You know, there, uh, there there's this notion that L.A. is, is creating a, a quote-unquote super club. And look, we, we go back to the Alexi Lawless GM years with that phrase, uh, big S, big C, super club. I don't know that that's possible under the, the MLS structure, but at least the perception that they're going to be able to go out and do things like this, and you know, this might be the the last big signing they have for some time until they maybe sell Omar Gonzalez or, or something happens with Omar, with one of those uh, older players leaving. They they definitely have that vibe about them now. Is that good for MLS? I think it is good for MLS because when you look at teams around the world. Uh, or leagues around the world, they're largely judged by their super clubs, as you put it. You know, people yeah, don't really talk about La Liga being top to bottom a, you know, fantastic league. Even if it is, they, they notice that Barcelona and Real Madrid play there. So as these MLS teams like the Galaxy, like potentially the Sounders or even uh, NYCFC, reach that level, I think it, it's only good. Uh, it's only a good thing for MLS as it tries to grow its brand. You know, I'm looking at uh, Matt Doyle's breakdown of what uh, L.A. needs to do now with Giovanni DeSantos in the fold when he arrives early August. This is just, you know, we don't necessarily have to comment here, Thomas, but I just think it's interesting to point out this starting 11 that he's got uh, as, as one of the likely lineups for L.A. Robbie Rogers at left back, Omar Gonzalez and Leonardo in the middle, A.J. De La Garza on the right, Janino in that defensive mid-roll, Giovanni Dos Santos, Steven Gerrard, and Sebastian Legette across a midfield trio, Robbie Keane and Jossie's artists up top. That's pretty insane in an MLS context. Yes, that's that's simply ridiculous. You look at that lineup, and it's it's something else. It's something that we haven't seen in MLS, that a team that's just has that much star power, that much balance, I, I wonder if a guy like Leonardo is uh, in there like, oh, how'd I get in this group? But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun to, uh, to just ponder what the Galaxy could look like with that 11. It should be, it should be uh, just one of the most entertaining teams, if not the most entertaining team we've, we've seen over the course of these 20 years with MLS. Yeah, I'm just taking stock here. You've got a couple of Mexican-Americans, a couple of Brazilians, an Englishman, an Irishman, um, Zardes is American, you know, obviously, uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, as I said, Mexican, 
uh, Robbie Rogers, American Legit, with uh, his heritage. It's it's across the board of a very interesting team, um, and and there's actually some depth in in on the bench as well. Dan Gargan and several other players. Alan Gordon, um, Baggio Husidic, who's going to be the guy that that misses out now. Uh, let's turn to the national yeah. team quickly, Thomas. Before I have to let you go, uh, the United States preparing for a quarterfinal match against Balt- uh, sorry against Cuba in Baltimore tomorrow afternoon. Cuba is not good enough to beat the United States. That's a flat out fact. If the United States plays up to their relative abilities, the question is: Are they going to get there? And what do you not 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 what do you expect necessarily? Because I imagine Cuba is going to co- try to come out fast. They're going to try to pressure the United States with their speed and athleticism. Does the United States need to play a team that is uh, possession heavy? I mean, what what do we see here? Uh, I I mean I think the U.S. is just going to really come out with uh, uh, may, maybe the more dynamic lineup that has a guy like Zardes or Yedlin out on the flank and and see if they can beat Cuba a couple different ways. Obviously, they're going to have the lion's share of the ball, but they also they're playing a team that's going to be packed in in the final third. So you, you want a difference maker who can, you know, crack uh, an opponent um, in, in the opposing area, like the way Jossie Zardes came off the bench and did so against, uh, against Haiti in the group stage. So, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I don't think it's going to be the most tactically complex game. I just think Cuba is going to try to hang on for dear life and, and probably pack it in. And uh, we'll see if the U of S, if, if they can get an early goal, then this game will open up and we might see something ugly like when Mexico played uh, Cuba on the group stage. If not, you know, we'll see. Cuba's played the U.S. tough in the past. They actually took the lead on them four years ago in the Gold Cup. So nothing's impossible, but this does have the makings of uh, what should be a comfortable U.S. win. Thomas Floyd at goal.com. You can go read his stuff over there. I believe it's Thomas. I want to say Thomas Floyd 10. Is I getting that right? I don't remember Twitter handles very well, yeah. Thomas. That is, that is correct. Boom, there it is. It's off the top of the dome piece. Thomas, uh, in, enjoyed it. Appreciate your time, and uh, have a good soccer weekend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having me. There goes Thomas Floyd. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Friday. Thank you very much for listening and for calling in and for participating and for being on Twitter at Soccer Morning and for following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash soccer morning, which I need to dive into a little bit more. Um what else am I am I missing here? We got the the t-shirts over at backheel.com slash store with the mugs over there as well. There's soccer morning t-shirts somewhere on the internet. We're we're still trying to determine where those are exactly. Uh, I had a good week with you guys. It was fun. It was fun. We had a good time, right? And we'll be back next week. Slew of good guests talking about the U.S. in the quarterfinals, the Gold Cup, the Gold Cup in general. Mexico, Costa Rica this weekend. Boom, that's a big one. Should be fun uh, there as well. I'll be on Rabble.tv, by the way, for USA Cuba tomorrow. So make sure you're looking out for that. Rabble.tv. I'll tweet the link from Davis JSN, and we'll have it from Soccer Morning as well. Uh, I'll be doing commentary during the game. Should be fun. Uh, I couldn't make it up to Baltimore, so the second best thing is to do that. Thank you very much for listening. That's it. It's in the books, and we'll see you on Monday. Later. Later.